The day's just getting started for Richard Atkins. The alarm went off at 6.15, and now he's putting on a pot of coffee in the kitchen of his Long Island house. In a moment, he'll wolf down a bowl of cold cereal and start suiting up for his commute into Manhattan. Atkins is a corporate trainer and rides a motorcycle into the city to meet with clients. He is just one of millions of people who rely on some form of transportation to get them into work. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're peering into the lives of some ordinary people with not-so-ordinary commutes. For Richard Atkins, the not-so-ordinary starts with what he wears for his ride into work. A jacket, pants, boots, helmet, earplugs, and gloves. That's Richard's six-year-old daughter, Kira. Richard quizzes her as to why Daddy dresses the way he does. When we see other motorcyclists riding, what do we talk about? Their safety. And what do we see sometimes? Well, a lot of times we see them not wearing their gear. That's a risk Richard says he's not willing to take. With a wife and two kids at home, he says sane and safe motorcycling is the most important thing. It's kind of like car seats, seat belts, and insurance. You hope you never have to use them for their intended purpose. Kira, can you do me a favor and get me a bag, please? Thank you. First, I take my boots. These are BMW Santiago boots. And, uh, thank you, my love. I click these in. Yeah, so I tuck my, uh, the fold of my pants in as neatly as possible so that it will, when we arrive, they will be neat, look neat, look pressed. Shoes go in a bag next to the laptop. Gotta bring all this stuff. Kira, can you go up to my desk, please? Do you know where my business cards are? Richard isn't alone in suiting up before he heads into work. So, all right, this is the stuff primarily. Uh, Pants and jacket and hat. Brooklyn resident Gary Farrar also puts on special gear before heading out the door. Gary's a hospital clown and goes to work in costume, complete with patchwork pants, a funny hat, and a painted-on red nose. No big shoes, though. When you ride the subway, Gary says, that kind of footwear is out. At a certain point, you have to sacrifice the aesthetic value for, you know, just your sanity, you know. I would love to, though, but especially on a crowded subway. I don't want people to hate me, you know. Even without the big shoes, and even in a hardened city like New York, a clown on the subway doesn't go unnoticed. People try and take pictures a lot. Most of the time, very sneakily, you know, they'll take out the iPhone and try and, you know, sneak it up and look away. And and if I catch them, then I'll try and take out my phone and, you know, sneak a picture of them, too, because part of the fun is that everybody else is watching, you know, um... It's kind of like the elephant in the room. And when you're the elephant, or in this case, the clown, Gary says sinking inward, even when you're having a bad day, is out of the question. You can't pick your nose. You know, you can't do anything that the average person would do saying, ah, no one's really paying attention because they are paying attention. But Gary acknowledges the days he drives to work aren't as meaningful. Driving alone in a car, what's the fun of being dressed as a clown? You know, nobody sees you, and uh, I often forget Because, you know, I'm not interacting with people. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just, you forget that you're a clown. It's very hard by train. 
for us to get in. So we much prefer driving in. Perry Samowitz drives to work from his home in Westchester County. He commutes with his assistant, Evie Listerell, and another colleague, Jane Toby. They all work together at the YAI National Institute for People with Disabilities in Manhattan. Evie is relatively new to the carpool, but Perry and Jane have been commuting together for nearly 30 years. Perry leaves his house at around 6.45 in the morning, picks up Evie, and then Jane. See, it's 6.56. At 7 o'clock, she'll be walking in the door. She's very dependable, and I'm always five to ten minutes early. It's just my nature. So it works. It works. Having spent countless hours in the car together, Perry and Jane say they know each other inside out. Perry sometimes jokes that his relationship with Jane is like marriage without the sex. But both agree it's more like brother and sister, and they often bicker like siblings. Just bring up sports. We agree about sports, but I just can't stand the fact that he switches allegiance. He's a Mets fan and a Giants fan. Yankees fan. You're not. A, you can't be a Yankees fan and a Mets fan. That's absolutely impossible. Here we go. I don't know any true <laughs> fan who can be that way. You're either one or the other. And when the Mets are losing, he becomes a Yankee fan. It's, no, it's, that's not the way it works. Perry and Jane's commute isn't always a smackdown. There are plenty of quiet moments, and they're both okay with that. We're very comfortable with silence. It's we're we're very comfortable. It doesn't mean anything. It just means. We're, we're relaxing. He's thinking about work or I'm thinking about whatever I'm thinking about, and it's okay. We're not feeling a pressure to have a conversation or talk about something. It's it's fine. There's no no big deal about it. That's it, very important. Yeah. It's very... Because Jane's not a motor mouth, and Jane can be a lot of fun and interesting, and that's critical. You don't want to get bored in the car, number one. Jane's not boring. And number two, she knows to be quiet, which is great. You know, because some people just incessantly talk and it can drive you crazy. You know, I don't think I could tolerate someone like that all these years. Mm-hmm. But when dirt builds up on the car windshield, the game's back on. Oh my God, that's the worst. The windows will be filthy. <laughs> oh yeah. And I'll say, please clean the windows. And he squirts it once. And I'll go, no, clean the windows. I'm going to run out. I said, what do you mean you're going to run out? That's the whole point of it. It's there to clean your windows. You should carry some in the back of the car like everybody else does. Well, I don't, so I'm going to run out. Now, why do you have windshield wiper fluid? You know, the windows are filthy. You're going to be able to see. I can see okay. I said, how the hell can you see? So the laptop will go in with the pair of shoes. Motorcycle commuter Richard Atkins doesn't pull out of the driveway until he's sure everything's in place for his ride from Long Island into Manhattan. So... I have a helmet, I have gloves. Now, a couple things you want to check on the bike. Before you start, you want to look at your motorcycle and make sure that there's no evidence of leaking fluid, nothing's falling off. Richard's been riding a motorcycle since 1993, but doesn't fit the typical stereotype of a biker. He's a corporate trainer and dresses like one. He's more Ward Cleaver than Fonzie Fonzarelli, but Richard says motorcycling to work beats driving a car any day. It is less frustrating because I have more options. I It's a much more nimble machine, so I can get into lanes that are moving. There are drawbacks, however. I followed Richard on his commute and stayed in contact with him via cell phone. I asked him what it was like to be stuck at a traffic light directly behind a bus. You're not tasty, you have that. A friend of mine used to be a bike messenger in Manhattan. And I remember one time he described 
for following. He said, yeah, I was getting a real good cruise going down 2nd Avenue, sucking on a bus. More often than not, you'll find Richard riding in the right lane. Because that's the lane that moves. When I enter an expressway, a parkway around here, this has happened to me numerous times, I'll see the two, the, the middle lane and the left lane filled with traffic and the right lane sparse. Any particular reason you think that's typically the case? I think people here are conditioned to go, 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 you got to move, you got to get to the city now. So they all get to the passing lane. They all get to the fast lane. When traffic is unavoidable, Richard says he deals with it. He never listens to traffic reports, saying he tries to avoid what he calls media terrorism at all costs. So much of of what you hear on those stations is uh, just what's wrong with the world, who's been shot, you know, murders in the Bronx, rapes in Brooklyn, and, uh, you know, car fires. I don't need to hear that. So you'd rather just take your chances on the roadways. You don't necessarily need to listen to the traffic reports to help you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, you can quickly tell whether your roadway is moving or not. And, and there are always options. But figuring out those options can be stressful. Perry, Jane, and Evie have just hit a massive traffic jam on their commute from Westchester County to Manhattan. A car's flipped over on the West Side Highway, and the southbound lanes are closed. Perry puts on the radio to hear the traffic report. WCBS News Time, 718. Expanded traffic and weather together on the 8th. Right off the Tom Kaminsky McDonald's McCafe Chopper 880. Bad accident on the West Side Highway. It is awful, Pat. It involves a vehicle uh, traveling northbound on the West Side Highway, which jumped the center divide. Told you. Struck at least three vehicles. Wow. One of uh, those vehicles sustained a tremendous amount of damage, as did the uh, vehicle which went from the northbound. That could be nice. There were injuries. There were at least three people treated, literally on the roadway of the West Side Highway, treated by EMS uh, and emergency personnel. Uh, they are still being tended to, so the West Side is shut down. It's hard because it's curved, too. The group decides to get off the highway and to take the local roads. Perry starts to stress. Jane, who says traffic doesn't frazzle her, tries to talk him down. Perry also tries to talk himself down. I have to change the tape in my head. (laughs) Because when I start getting nervous about this, it's no good. So I have to fight this off and just say, you know what, we'll make a difference in a few hours. We'll be at work and we're not even going to remember this. Well, what do you mean the tape in your head? Because the tape I sometimes play is, oh my God, we're going to be late. You know, we're never going to get there. It's going to take forever. So I got to change that, literally. Which I just did. I just changed the tape. It's times like this, Perry says, he's glad he commutes with Evie and Jane. Yeah, it's very good to have them with me in this type of situation. Because if I was alone would be much harder for me to deal with this. You get stressed? Yes. Because you have no control. No, it's just frustrating. No, it's called lack of control. Oh, that too. But it's very frustrating. But that's what it is. It's lack of control. You can't control this. There's nothing you can do. And um, no. you just got to say, okay, I can't yeah. control it. You know? I know. And that's, that's right. it. See, that's where Jane is a great support. <laughs> There's, there's nothing you can do. I, mean, I understand, it but it's is, still nice know? to have someone sitting next to you saying these things, you know, when you're starting to get anxious. Because you're right. 
You're absolutely 100% right. Uh, you can get anxious about traffic. Like Jane, motorcycle commuter Richard Atkins doesn't let traffic get the better of him. He avoids zipping in and out of lanes to move ahead. He thinks of his wife and two kids while on the road. He also pays close attention to what other bikers are wearing, especially those not adhering to his credo of sane and safe cycling. I don't know if you can see that motorcyclist that just passed. On the LIA? Did you see him or no? No, I didn't see him. He's wearing a, what's called a half helmet or a bull helmet, a leather vest, a t-shirt, and jeans. And my, oh, wow, there's, there's someone riding through lanes there wearing a regular dress shirt and dress pants. He's on a bomb of some kind with a silver helmet. Can you see him? Yeah, I see him. And uh, my hope for that person is that he never meets pavement. Richard also makes it a point to be considerate to other people on the road, even when drivers annoyingly try to nudge their way into his lane. I do let cars like this in. It's a tendency of a lot of drivers in this area not to. No one gets in front of me is the mentality. I don't practice that because I believe that we should share the road. As I followed Richard on his commute, I noticed his license plate and asked him about the significance. My license plate is a New York plate and it says bank. And uh, I consider myself a pretty grateful person, thankful for the great things that are in my life. So it's a, it's a statement to others to be thankful. And sometimes if someone's let me in on a roadway, it's just an added way of saying thank you to the person who let me in. Interactions with fellow commuters on the road are limited. You may get a wave of appreciation, maybe a dirty look or a flip of the bird, but it's a different story on the subway. You're face-to-face with your fellow commuters. Often people look down at their feet or look up at advertisements to avoid eye contact. But when a clown enters the train car, some commuters let their guard down. Take Brooklyn resident Tiffany Mack. She usually doesn't talk to strangers on the subway, but says hospital clown Gary Farrar drew her attention. Clowning? Clowning? Yeah. <laughs> I do I do magic for pediatric units at hospitals. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That is nice. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> Tiffany and Gary talked for a while through several train stops, in fact. Gary even took some time to show Tiffany and her friend a trick. I got this thing, it's a pen x-ray machine. Yeah. And you can take a look inside your pen. And take a look. When I look inside in the middle of my pen, there is a <laughs> Weird, right? Yeah. I can't figure because it looks like it's a solid pen, right? You, I mean, you would swear <laughs> you see a middle on there, yeah? yeah. Gary gets more than just a kick out of entertaining subway riders. For him, it's also a way of advertising. He entertains at children's birthday parties. His efforts today seem to be paying off. <laughs> do you do children's birthday parties? I do, yeah. Gary says as much as he enjoys his interactions with fellow commuters, it's random police bag searches that he looks forward to the most on his commute. The police officers are there, and I'm saying, oh, pick me, pick me. Especially if I'm traveling like this with all, with all the clown stuff in there and I'm a real person. 
I uh, I love it because the, you know they start to open it up and they get so embarrassed. You know they see you know squeaky rats and they see you know un- giant underwear and and they, they quick close it up. And I'm like no search away search away and I I just love it. But uh, they get they get so put off that uh, <laughs> I think it's hysterical. There are a few laughs for Perry, Jane, and Evie as they make their way into the office through bumper-to-bumper side street traffic. They pass the time with small talk. Perry's daughter is coming home from graduate school in Wyoming. They talk about that for a bit. Perry's outfits are picked apart. Jane and Evie like to give him fashion advice. But most of all, at least this morning, they talk about how to get around the traffic. All right, now here's 90s. How do you get back on the West Side Highway? Keep going forward. Because you can't get on here anyway. No, I think you had to go there and around and down. Anyway, it's too late. But we're doing okay. So. Yeah, we are doing okay. Much better than I thought. Yeah, if we go on here, we go inside. <laughs> no, no, there's a way you go under, I think. Uh-huh. But yeah. see, over there, there are cars doing it. I just don't know how to do it. But we're on 97th Street. This goes on for a while until it reaches a boil. I eventually chime in, correcting Perry's sense of direction. Then Jane releases her frustration over what's just transpired. Oh, I know you're not sure. You can't stand it when you're wrong. And you well, just, just take, take us a, a look. Big just take a look. That's all I want you to do. Is take a peek and tell me what you see. Like this bus is coming. I see a road going north. And there be north. All right. Well, you got to look to see. I think I lied. George was right. I said it when we were on that street. You can't get on it. When I said make a left, I just meant to go up here and get Where on a road to West go straight. End. What does West End become? West End will take you straight, uh, straight all straight the way down, down, to, Lower down to Lower Manhattan. Yeah. All right, that's it. Not bad. Cool. Still better than if we were on that highway. You get, you think you're right, and you become tunnel vision, like saying, "Why aren't you making a right here?" Because I'm going up there to make a right. Right. And you were wrong. There was no right. I mean, you just don't listen to people because you, George, have, to, you have to be this right. This is being recorded. <laughs> no, but you have to be right. Okay, I'm just laughing about something. And that's what's annoying. Life. You have to be right. And when okay. you th- you're so convinced you're right, and then you mess it up. And then you wonder why people get upset with you. And this is the reason. And thank God we had a, 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 a party in the car. Oh, don't bring the reporter into this. <laughs> that's why I looked. <laughs> why? No, you looked because you didn't believe what he said either. You had to look. You know why? Because I thought I'd gone south. At no, that point. you know I You've never. Why would you? Why would you be I have coming this way? Anyway, I didn't know. I wasn't sure. Jane and Perry go at it for a while more, but both agree it means nothing. They'll forget all about it when they arrive at the office. Perry says exchanges like that one make the commute more tolerable. You know what's good about different is it's enjoyable. Because I wouldn't want someone in the car with me who was boring. That would kill me. I would hate that. And. Jane's fun and, you know, her quirkiness and my quirkiness make for an interesting ride. And mm-hmm. it's fun and it's enjoyable and it's not boring. So to me, boredom is the worst thing. You know, so this is a lot more fun. So if occasionally we get into an argument, so what? It's fun. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear another opinion about things. That's good. Perry, Jane, and Evie finally arrive at work. They're 50 minutes late. We'll give Perry the final word. I mean, not terrible. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. You made it. Hey. 
Motorcycle commuter Richard Atkins has also made it into Manhattan. He parks his bike, unsuits, and makes sure he's not too wrinkly. So now comes the task of assembling myself, getting my laptop out. Full face helmet can be kept here in the bike. And then these things I have to bring in with me and find a room in there. That's my commute to Manhattan. Hospital clown Gary Farrar arrives in Manhattan's Greenwich Village for his third and final assignment of the day. He has a short walk from the subway to the hospital and leaves us with this advice. Talk more on commutes because, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to, to have that uh, experience and and so much good stuff comes out of it. You know, I mean, everyone always says it's it's not what you know, it's who you know. And it's great. You know, you learn interesting stories about people and you learn what they do, what's going on in their lives, and uh, realize that people are very similar, very different uh, in different ways, and it just makes the world seem, seem smaller. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. As evidenced in the stories we've just heard, not every commute is the same and neither is every commuter. Dr. Jennifer Hughes is an associate professor of psychology at Agnes Scott College in Atlanta, Georgia, where she studies the psychological and physical impact of commuting to and from work. Dr. Hughes, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Nice to talk to you. What kinds of commuting have you investigated so far? Uh, I'm mostly focused on automobile commuting, but I've also looked at carpooling and also mass transit. Now, why did you decide to study commuting? That's interesting. I originally studied dual career couples, and when I moved to Atlanta, I had a long commute. It was about 38 miles one way. On a good day, it would take me an hour to get to work. And then one day going home, I felt especially time urgent, and a tractor trailer jackknifed, and I ended up just sitting on the interstate for almost four hours. So I thought, somebody has to be doing research on the effect of people's commutes. So when I got home, I started to look into it. Come to find out, not many people are researching it, so I decided that I wanted to look into it. Now, describe the feeling for me. For you, when you were sitting in traffic for so long, what was going through your mind? Put us back in that car on that day. Well, originally, when I first moved to Atlanta, I was excited because uh, I was a new professor, and I thought the first few times I commuted that I actually kind of made it, and I was very excited about it. That day, I, I started out okay, and then about... About an hour into it, I became extremely frustrated. And the longer it took with with not knowing how long I would be there, the more uh, angry and anxious I became. Now, what do you find people do to talk themselves down in a situation like that? Well, I think a lot of people get very frustrated when they don't know how long they'll be stuck in traffic. Uh, I think people resort to talking on their uh, cell phones or listening to the radio, like NPR, (laughs) try to do something to distract themselves. What surprised you most so far in your research? Uh, I think the thing that surprised me the most is that people are very individual in how they perceive their commute. So somebody that has a 45-minute commute could be totally okay with it, and another person could think it's the worst thing in the world. Now, those people saying, yeah, it's not so bad, what makes them different? Uh, Well, I interviewed quite a few parents, and they actually said that they find it 
the only time in their day where they, they perceive their commute as their private time and that they actually enjoy it because it's their one time during the day that they're not at work, they're not with their children, and it, it can be for them very relaxing or quiet. Beyond the surveys, you've also conducted other tests, right, to determine what's going through the mind of a commuter and how he or she is feeling. Tell me about those tests. I understand that you've studied the saliva of commuters. Oh, I I looked at cortisol levels in commuters, and that's a stress hormone that you can uh, analyze through a person's saliva. So I actually had commuters come in and give us samples of saliva. And uh, the sample that I had, actually, they were not reporting that they were extremely stressed out by their commute. So I would like to repeat the study and actually target those people that are feeling extremely stressed out. So what I found in the study was that the people were saying that they were not very stressed out and the saliva was showing that they were not producing high levels of stress hormones. Have you found that men and women view commuting differently at all? Uh, The research findings on that are mixed. I have found in some of my studies that women are reporting that they're more stressed out. And when I looked into that further, I found out that the women that were reporting greater stress, they were saying that the problem was was that they weren't just commuting to work, they were also doing all these side trips, such as having to take the child to school on time or run errands, whereas the males that were reporting less stress were not having to do all of those side trips. What about whether someone likes his or her job? Can that make a difference in how they view their commute? Uh, We actually just collected data on that, and the preliminary analyses are saying that Uh, that does affect how you perceive your commute, so that if you're happier to go to work and you're not experiencing stress about going to work, you'll be more relaxed during the commute. Does it make any difference whether you're commuting alone or whether you're commuting with others? The research I have done has been with van pools, and what we found is that uh, if people agree on what's like a code of conduct in the van or in the car with each other, then they're more likely to be okay with it so that they can predict what the other person's going to do and they can outlaw things that would be offensive. Such as what? <laughs> uh, what we found was that people would get upset with other people uh, that would listen to types of music that they didn't like. And so uh, one of the van pools that we looked at uh, had a rule that you had to wear headsets if you were going to listen to music. They also had a cell, fo- cell phone rule uh, saying that you couldn't have um, conversations on your cell phone while you were in the van pool. Do you find that people feel more in control when they have their own cars, even if they can't control the traffic situation versus taking mass transit? Right, we do. We are definitely in the United States a car culture, and especially in Atlanta we're that way. Uh, When we talk to people about mass transit, they feel like it's inconvenient to get to the mass transit. But what what I think people aren't realizing is that once you use mass transit, usually it's fairly predictable. Like you're not going to run into uh, a lot of traffic and be delayed. And you also can do other things such as read or listen to music. Have you been able to determine whether those commuters are much less stressed in terms of how someone's feeling physically? I have not studied that directly. We have some data right now that we're looking in we're looking into that. We have done focus groups and the people that use mass transit really enjoyed it. Personally, I moved to my current home because it was only a 15-minute commute to work and along the commuter train line so I could hop on the train if it snowed heavily. Do you find that a lot of commuters make major life decisions based on their commuting options? <laughs> I know that I've moved three times to get closer to work, and now uh, 
I, I have actually a really great commute. I drive away from traffic, and uh, I enjoy my commute greatly. I, I think if you live in a bigger city like New York, uh, your commute becomes a factor of where you're going to live and how you're going to live your day. Tell me where you've conducted your research. I know you're based in Atlanta, but have you talked to commuters outside of that area as well? Yeah, I have, actually. I've done national surveys, and it's been interesting because some researchers have a hard time getting people to be in their studies, and I find people really want to talk about their commute. It's a big part of their day, Uh, and we've actually found recently that people are not – if they have like a two-hour commute during the day, they don't want to give up their free time or their leisure time, so they're actually taking it out of their sleep time, which to me is scary because then we have sleep-deprived commuters. But they really want to talk about the fact that uh, how their commute is affecting their daily life. So, Dr. Hughes, what's your advice for people on how to cope with commuting? Uh, there's various things people can do to cope with the commute. One of the studies uh, we conducted looked at people that felt very time urgent, and uh, that's like the sense that you have to get somewhere in a uh, quick amount of time. And we found that the people that had flexible start work times actually dealt with that in a much more productive way. So um, flexible work schedules, if if your company would allow for that. We've also looked at people with non-standard work times. So instead of starting or working from 8 to 5, they might work uh, or start working at 10 o'clock. And that actually relieves a lot of stress because they're not going to work during the peak commute times. So put some thought into it, basically, and talk to your employer about some flexibility. I can tell you that I left for work at 5 a.m. this morning. And you know what? No traffic. Dr. Jennifer Hughes, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Dr. Jennifer Hughes is researching the psychological and physical impact of commuting. She's based out of Agnes Scott College in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Production credits this week go to Connor Tehan, Laura Zifang, Liz Yaslik, Ellen Burke, and Skylar Srivastava. Have a great weekend.